Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. Today, Gore-Tex announced that they're updating their flagship high-performance technology, Gore-Tex Pro. I got to sit down with Gore's Mark McKinney, the category manager of the Gore-Tex Pro collection, and dive deep into this new product, or rather, new product line. We discuss what makes the new Gore Pro unique, Gore's intensive validation and field testing processes, how Gore Pro fits into Gore sustainability goals, and much more. Let's jump right in. Today we're in Banff, Alberta, with Gore-Tex's Mark McKinney. How are you doing today, Mark? Yeah, good, thank you. So, to start, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at your current role in Gore? I've been in Gore for 19 years. Um, I had an interesting situation where the recruiter was actually looking for somebody to work for Gore, other part of the company, other part of the country. When he described the job, I didn't even recognize the company. And so he, he gave us a 10 minute spiel on why I should move my family. My wife was pregnant at the time. Why should we move to the side of the country? It was coming up for Christmas. And at the end of it, he said, the company's Gore. They make Gore-Tex. You're an ice climber. You must know them. And the penny dropped. And I'm like, set up the interview. And yeah, in six weeks, we moved, we relocated, we sold our house. My wife had a baby. We had Christmas and I joined Gore and that was 19 years ago. Um, it was for the aerospace segment. And yeah, I've had a couple of different commitments before the current one looking after Gore-Tex Pro. Gore Pro has been sort of the flagship product of the Gore-Tex line for a little while now in terms of, you know, peak performance. Can you explain a bit behind the rationale for making an update to a to a product that is that has kind of been around for a while and had really good performance in general sure our rationale was really simple pro is our pinnacle gore-tex performance products and our core consumers are operating at the highest level of their sport their hobby their activity whether they're um, somebody doing it at the weekends or whether they're a professional mountain guide ski guide all of these consumers share a passion for their activity and their performance. They're in the most extreme conditions in the most extreme, fantastic parts of the world. And a common theme that all of them have is they're looking at their gear. They're constantly looking to refine and improve and manage the equipment they have. So we launched the last version of Gore-Tex Pro in 2013 and when we really started to talk about this project, it was the end of 2015, start of 2016. And we were conscious that it's a long development cycle. There's a lot to prove, a lot to validate, and a lot of technologies to come together. So we really just felt that while we had a fantastic pinnacle product, we didn't want to rest on our laurels and we wanted to maintain that pinnacle performance for those really discerning consumers. So did you guys go into the update with this idea of these are the features we want to add or was it just more of a always improving kind of idea? It, it was absolutely always about improving. So there was no one area that we felt was lacking in the market or what we offered in the market. Um, we reached out, we did a lot of consumer data, we reached out to 
many of our brands that take Gore-Tex Pro, not just in mountain sports, but across our other categories like water sports, motor sports, hunt fish and water sports. And we talked to those brands, we talked to those consumers around what did they have, what did they do, what features did they value and what would they look for in the products that they were using on a, a day in day out basis. After all that sort of consumer brand communication, you guys came up with this idea for the for the Gore Pro line of products. Can you talk us sort of a 30,000 foot view of the line? I think we can dive into specifics here in a bit. Sure. So the, the high level view is we have three different technologies, all branded as Gore-Tex Pro. They all have um, the level of durability that our last or current product has that we've had since 2013. We heard consistently that the durability was great and nobody wanted a less durable product. They, they didn't want it lighter and less durable. So we saw that as the benchmark of our performance. And then we just started to look at the attributes and what we're going to bring in. So we have three different technologies and we have Pro Most Rugged, which is a higher level of ruggedness. We have Pro Stretch, it's in the name. It stretches, which is really exciting for us. And we have Pro Most Breathable. So those are the three technologies that we have under the Pro brand. From a performance level, how do these three different technologies compare and contrast and in also relation to the current Gore Pro that's on the market today? If I look at Most Rugged first, so Pro Most Rugged, we have looked at the two attributes of ruggedness and breathability. And we realized that by a slight reduction in breathability, so it's still classed as being highly breathable, so still really good performance, but we realized we could increase the ruggedness of the actual membrane, the, the EPTFE part of our fabric that does the work, it moves the moisture, it keeps the product waterproof. We realized we could manipulate that in a different way that was unique for our products and that would have increased strength and therefore it could withstand damage in a, a higher level than the existing pro products. So that really drove us down this most rugged route, um, most rugged being the number one attribute of the product. So most rugged sac sacrifices a hair of breathability for durability. Correct. And then we have stretch which obviously has stretch, yeah. but all, that stretch uses, it's my understanding, uses the same membrane as the most rugged, correct? That's correct. When we spoke to consumers, um, we did a lot of blind consumer surveys and we had groups brought together, alpinists. So looking really at the insights from those user groups around what did they consider most important? And it was broad we weren't purely focused on stretch. We wanted to know what did that consumer set want from a product, a garment, a jacket, pants, trousers. And durability came through really high in their list. And eventually they got to the subject of stretch. And we were concerned because it wasn't the first thing that they mentioned. And so when we asked them why, it was, like I say, it was blind testing. They didn't know it was Gore-Tex. And the consumer feedback was consistent that they didn't see a product that was durable enough for that really high-end pinnacle end use. 
that they were doing on their weekends or their day jobs as professionals within the mountains. So, so the customer just assumed Gore Pro Stretch was impossible? Pretty much. <laughs> and so we were really excited by that because we thought, hey, we've got the product. You know, we had it, it was under it was under lock and key and you know, all of our testers have non-disclosure agreements. So we were really excited, but we knew that that durability element was key to the product success. We could bring in stretch technology in a number of different formats, but we realized that in order to um, really meet that consumer expectation early on for this new technology, we wanted to be really bomber. You know, we wanted to take our most rugged film, our most rugged membrane, and apply that stretch technology to it. So that's where we've ended up. Um, the durability is as high as our other pro products, hence we're willing to give it the name Pro Stretch. So it, it's worked out really well. It's it's certainly had a, a wow factor to all of our testers. Yeah, I think we're, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the actual way that you guys have created the stretch and how it differs from the current Gore with stretch technology that's on the market, because um, I think that is that is really interesting, at least from what I understand uh, at the moment. Um, and then, so the last technology is this Gore Most Breathable, and that. I think by the name, obviously, is more breathable than the other two. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the performance of that technology in, in comparison to the most rugged and the stretch? Pro most breathable, that is our number one attribute. And we still see that as being a really high ranking, consistently high ranking attribute whenever we talk to consumers around the world. Um, it uses the same membrane technology as we currently have in Gore-Tex Pro. So it's a membrane that we launched in 2013. It's really well proven. It has a great balance of durability with breathability. And the feedback we had from consumers was it really set the benchmark in performance that they were looking to achieve. So we've maintained that benchmark for breathability and durability. We have some new faces, so lighter faces, still with the same durability, but lighter weight, a lighter denier. And we've also introduced a, a new backer, which has a reduced environmental footprint by using solution dye technology. So the same membrane, new faces, new backer, overall a new package but that same level of performance on durability and breathability. So we're in the extremely breathable range for Gore products. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack uh, in that answer. Obviously, Mark, I think uh, each one of these technologies offers a bunch of different things that, 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 we, that we want to talk about. But first, we can get into membrane specifics. So you just mentioned that Gore Most Breathable uses the same membrane of the current Gore Pro. And it's my understanding that that membrane is a dual layer EPTFE where there's two layers of this EPTFE smashed together. So you get a little bit of a density gradient. It's more dense in the middle and the interior layer is unprotected and kind of acts as a sacrificial layer for things like ions and dirt and other crap that might contaminate your membrane. And then you have the second layer that acts, you know, structural integrity, helps breathability, gets, gets stuff out of the membrane. The new technologies or the new membrane technologies in rugged and stretch use a different membrane. 
is this a protected membrane? Is this a, is there a PU layer on this membrane? And how does that sort of layup compare to what we might see in a standard Gore-Tex performance piece, like a CNIT piece, for example? The existing membrane, you're right, it's a multi-layer. There's more than two layers. I'm not telling you how many, there's more than two. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Um, but you're right, so we have varying gradients, and that is a way to move moisture and stop water migration. So, so that's absolutely correct. Um, our most rugged and stretch membranes, they're bicomponent, so it's a single layer of EPTFE with an additional component in there. Um, and that's acting as a, a barrier to those contaminants. Um, the concept is not new in itself. We use other bicomponent films in our other Gore-Tex products. But the way that our films are processed and manipulated, um, it's unique to Pro. So it's stronger than any other Pro membrane. And it's actually stronger than anything else we have within that mountain sports category. So really rugged film um, withstands more damage, more violence, if you like. Um, the, tester that we are, the tester that we use has come from the automotive industry, one of the tests. And from that, we could really identify for impacts to the structure that it withstood more violence than our other products before leaking. So it gave us the confidence to go into that um, segment with just something that was, had a higher level of provable performance. And so that was then that higher level of ruggedness. That's what we wanted to take into stretch so that there would be no doubt over the performance. Um, so we have that bicomponent film. We add an additional layer of um, elastane that then provides a level of compression. So for stretch, we have a face textile, a membrane and a backer, plus our elastane layer. And we then manipulate that. That's about as much as I'm willing to say <laughs> on that. We manipulate it and as it comes out of our process, it compresses the membrane. So I put in, it has 20% stretch. I put in 20% more material, it compresses. And that's what we then deliver to the garment factory. And they will then make products. It sounds like to me, you stretch the elastane as you laminate it. And then when it comes out, the elastane relaxes, pulls the membrane together along with the face and the scrim, the backer rather. And then you, everything shrinks together and then you have that stretch kind of built in. Uh, to use your words, Meryl, I think that's a great 30,000 foot view on what's happening. Um, yeah, so everything's compressing that 20%. So we see weight increasing a little bit because we're putting in more material. But if you think about it, when the stretch is fully elongated, you have a regular membrane. So you have the same mass of material in the face and the film and the back are providing all the protection you're used to, even when it's fully stretched. So, so that's where we see this increased durability. Um, and we've seen great performance from the field and in the lab around that durability. So Gore-Tex with stretch technology is a two-way stretch. Can you talk about the stretch on the new Pro? Sure. So Pro stretch is also two-way. And we see that because the Pro garments are so heavily engineered, um, these are three-dimensional garments, you know, 
a lot of time and energy goes into um, all of the garment design buyer brands and um, our customers, you know, Arcteryx and Black Diamond and all of these other brands who make these garments spend a lot of time and energy looking at every panel, every seam and how it works. So making some of those panels stretch panels in order to get increased freedom of movement, you're not looking for four-way stretch because the human body only moves in one axis. So, you know, we know how an elbow works. We know how a shoulder works. Um, we can see different ways, you know, through um, knees and butts. If we look at stretch within pants, we know how to panel it um, across your quads. We know how that's going to work. Um, we're not creating flat garments. Um, that you see elsewhere in the industry and they benefit from having four-way stretch. So four-way stretch, heavier, less durable, that, that's not the path that we're going to go down. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that never really occurred to me. It's like if you understand the biomechanics well enough, most of our joints, pretty much all of our joints move in one way. Within the alpine environment, yes. Um, you know, we can all to varying degrees, stand and do yoga. So we can move lo lots <laughs> some of, of us. Some, some of us can of do us, yoga. <laughs> I, I, I tend not to, not at this time of day anyway. Um, so we can move in different ways, but when you're climbing and skiing and putting packs on and off, we know those movements. We know what the garment has to do. We've measured the forces involved and in, in how restrictive those garments can be and then how we can alleviate that with stretch. So for the moment, two-way stretch more than meets our needs. So you guys, you guys use for the benchtop tests um, the Hohenstein sweating hot plate test, which measures the resistance to evaporative heat loss. Can you talk a little bit about how each of the different technologies test on that on that machine and how those tests then translate into tests in the field? Relative evaporative heat loss, or RET, to make it a bit simpler it falls into different categories. So we have um, extremely breathable and highly breathable are the two main categories that Gore's interested in. So Pro Most Breathable comes under the extremely breathable range that has an RET score of six or less. The Gore-Tex Most Breathable is scoring in the three range for RET. So what that really equates to is the minimum level of resistance to that moisture transfer. Um, while you're wearing a hard shell, we're still moving about as much moisture as you could possibly get out of that laminate. Now, garment construction has an effect. So the larger and the baggier the product, um, the, the larger the air gaps, and more air gaps results in more resistance. So we're looking for a garment to be well-constructed, close to the body, minimum air gaps, and using the best RET that it can for maximizing breathability. So we've used our most breathable membrane technology to get that highest performance where that's our number one attribute. Um, our rugged pro laminates are still highly breathable. They're coming in at a RET level of nine or less. Um, so that's unlikely to be perceived by a consumer, but it's on the edge. 
you may perceive a difference in breathability wearing two identical garments on the same day in the same location. So what our comfort science does say is that pro most breathable technology, most breathable laminates, has the greatest range of use. So more comfortable, more days and more conditions. And we know that that level of ruggedness that it has, you know, it's the membrane has been in the market for a number of years. By bringing in new faces, by bringing in new backers, it wouldn't necessarily affect the RET of each of those laminates. But where we see consumers working at a lower rate, um, a lot of our consumers are mechanized or they just don't have to work really hard during the day. And I'm going to choose my words carefully, but mountain guides are a great example because when they're with their clients during the day, often they're not working at their highest level. Their level of fitness is much higher than their clients. So the need for an extremely breathable garment day in, day out for that guide is less. So that guide might prioritize a more rugged product in order for a garment that, that lasts longer in its lifetime. On his days off, when he's got a project, he or she, when they've got a project and, and it's a climb or an alpine route or some crazy ski tour, then sure, they're going to be looking for the maximum breathability they can get. And that's where we see that discerning consumer focus on what's the attribute that's most applicable to the day, to the activity. Um, many of our consumers have more than one Gore-Tex Pro garment. You know, allowing for what they're doing in what region, um, we do see that coming through. So having different technologies allows a different focus on what they're looking for. So there's a lot of dispute among people in the outdoor industry, people doing these sports about publishing breathability tests. There are a lot of really bad standards tests, right? It's tests that are not representative of real world, things where like membranes are soaked in water and things like that, that a lot of companies in the past have used to cherry pick breathability data and publish data that's just like absolutely misleading. And it's interesting that in the past several years or maybe even a little more, Gore has started publishing RET values from the sweating hot plate test. And most people in the industry aren't publishing breathability numbers on their on their proprietary membranes. Um, can you explain a little bit of the rationale behind that and why why maybe this test is a test that you guys trust enough to to publish or if this is a test that just happens to work well for your products? I mean, I'm not I'm not and accusing you of that. Okay. I'm just curious. That's an easy question to answer. So we use that test because it's independently verified. So it's not our test. We simply use it. Um, so the Hohenstein Institute came up based on, uh, they came up with the test based on real science, real data, and that's what we're backing. Um, looking at MVTR, moisture vapor transfer rate, it's very simple to get different results based on the humidity of the room, the temperatures that you're testing at, lots of variables that can have quite a different effect on the result. And so while you can use it as a relative test to test, so you could have two products side by side on a given day in a controlled environment and say one is transferring moisture vapor 
at level A and the others at level B, if you come back the following day, they could give quite different results. So that's one of the reasons why it's not a focus for Gore. So we're looking at an ISO-based test, independently verified. We use this test method internally on our products when we're doing baseline selection um, and product development. We'll do that internally at each of our facilities. But again, that data will still be verified externally by an independent source before we then publish it or go to market. Sure. I mean, and I, I guess from my perspective, independently verified things are good. But like we see this in, um, in like safety release of ski bindings, for example. There are standardized tests that you can test the safety release of skis, but people still break their legs, tear their ACLs, sure. do things like that. You know, like to design a standardized test that actually encompasses and accurately replicates the real world, con real world conditions is very challenging. For instance, one of the characteristics of the sweating hot plate test is that inside and outside are isothermal, right? There's no temperature gradient across the membrane, which is something that is not all that realistic in a real world setting, right? I mean, it's always going to be colder or hotter outside than inside when you're sweating because that's why you're sweating. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about how you see that data that you get in these lab tests translating into the real world? So the data we see from the lab tests, it gives an indication of that human comfort. So it's been modeled, it's been verified, again, independently. Um, we're looking really at hitting those zones of performance. So I mentioned the extremely breathable, so RET of six or less. Um, we know that if we're in that range, we're really hitting the best possible parameters for human comfort within a given set of um, environmental conditions. So it's great to have that lab test, but it can't be in isolation. It has to relate to real world environment. Um, and it's, I think that's um, a significant part of what Gore does it's verifying real-world performance with what we do in the lab. Um, now, whether that's with consumers or test groups or athletes, um, and whether it's in comfort or durability, it's correlating real-world performance with what we do in the lab. So then I guess why, why publish the lab results? It's still a consistent measurement. You know, it's that independent test. And I think that's then valid, and that's over time. Lab groups, sorry, lab data is a consistent number to consistent method, and that's easier to translate, that's easier to convey than talking about a test sample group. Oh, yeah, way easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. One of the tests that we've been talking about is this five finger scratch test for durability. Can you talk a little bit about? what this test is and how you've used it in the development of these technologies? The five finger scratch test, we use it to really measure the performance of the membrane. The membrane's protected by a face textile and a backer textile. And so that protection can actually muffle the signal that you get from the performance of the membrane. And we wanted a reliable, repeatable test 
that we could see the kind of damage that we witness in the field. So we talked earlier about um, crazy folks who, not me, crazy folks who ski down mountainsides chasing powder going through trees. You, you take a, a whipper on your sleeve, on your arm. Sometimes that just leaves a little bruise. Sometimes that would damage your garment. It could damage the textile. It could damage the membrane. Or it could just damage your ego as your friends make fun of you because you've gone down a really rubbish line. So there's loads of different elements there and they're hard to quantify. So we wanted a test that would recreate damage in a consistent way. We've taken one, it's actually from the automotive industry. They use it for looking at the scratch resistance of plastics. And essentially we have five needles and each of those needles has a weight on the end, different weight. And we pull the laminate under those Bare laminate, no, no face, no backer. We have the face and we have the backer. Okay. So, because we want to represent the performance that we see. Sure. So, as we look at the comparative performance between pro most breathable, pro most rugged, we use the same faces. So we would put the same 70 denier, 100 denier, 40 denier face on and the same backer. And we would test side by side using the same weights, the same speeds through this needle ripping, scratching process. And because of the consistency of it, we could then measure the performance of the membrane in resisting that damage. So and in this test, you're specifically looking at membrane durability, not really Absolutely. at face fabric or Absolutely. backer. So we're looking at membrane durability to withstand violence and maintain waterproofness. It's as simple as that. Okay. So we inflict damage on it in a really horrible way, but very consistent because we're <laughs> in the lab. So we consistently but horribly damage the, the product and then we suture test it. So we put it under a pressurized water column and we look for leaks. And then we can monitor that and, and quite consistently map the performance. Do you guys do um, visual tests of, of the membrane as well to see, to see if there's like damage there or, or, is, or is it just using a water column test? We go beyond visual. So tear it apart. We tear it apart. We'll look under microscopes. We'll use scanning electron microscopes. So we're really getting down to that microscopic level of what kind of damage is happening. Um, is it going through the membrane? What's occurring to the structure that we've created for the EPTFE? Each of these membranes is actually, while they're expanded and porous, we're really controlling how that product is formed and we're looking to then see what damage is created to that structure. So right now there's only one stretch laminate offered and that's what's going to be offered for in the spring when this product launches. Can you talk a little bit about some of the future stretch laminates and what those might look like? So we have only one. It's launching in autumn winter 20. Okay. Not spring. I, I stand corrected. That's okay. <laughs> so we have one laminate within stretch. It has a 40 day in your face. We see that as something that um, is definitely the first to market, not the only to market. So following up, we have heavier face textiles 
on the same package. So the same membrane, the same backer, um, but we're looking at that heavier face and predominantly we think that's more likely to go into pants and areas where again people are looking for a much heavier package. Um, so 70 and 80 denier, all nylon faces, um, already proven within the pro space and used as static faces within our collection. So we know the performance, our brands know the performance, and we know how to build really good garments out of these face textiles. And we're then bringing in and using it as a, a stretch laminate. And they will have between 12 and 20% stretch. So we've talked a lot about face fabrics and membranes, but we haven't really talked about backers at all yet. So one of the really interesting things about the current Gore Pro backer is that it's actually a woven backer, correct? Correct. And that's a, a ruggedness idea, if I'm if I'm not mistaking it. Does that woven backer stay on these new products, or do we get a different a different type of backer? The answer is kind of. So we've taken that woven backer, we've looked at the performance of it. So we like the weave because it gives us durability. It manages moisture within the backer system. So we see sweat being moved around the backer. So it passes through nice and, and quickly and consistently. And we also see that high level of durability and resistance to um, abrasion and wear and tear within the pro category. We looked at different options and again, we reached out to our brands, we reached out to our consumers and our athletes and there was that expectation of nothing's broken, but could it be improved? And one of the areas where it was always in our minds, it's been part of our, our project brief since the very start was reducing our environmental footprint. What could we do in this development with the technology we had or near term, what could we do? And the backer was absolutely part of that development. So we moved, it's still a nylon woven backer, and we moved from nylon 6.6 to nylon 6, which has a lower environmental footprint. And we moved from it being jet dyed. So you weave the textile, you'd put it through a bath that adds color, you would then set that color with heat and that uses energy, it uses water. So we move from that dyeing technology to a process called solution dyed. And essentially when the nylon is still in pellet form, we add color dye pellets to it. And that's then heated and processed and extruded. So you create the yarn that then gets woven in the color that you want at the end. So that uses less water, it uses less energy, and therefore every meter that we produce, every garment that our brands produce, it has a lower environmental footprint, which we think is really positive. Sure. Um, so for everyone listening who's not a chemist, can you explain the difference between nylon 6 and nylon 6.6? Traditionally within the market, nylon 6.6 is seen as being a higher performer than nylon 6. Our parameters for our backer have not changed. So we've gone from nylon 6.6 to nylon 6, but it still has the same elongation levels. It still has the same tensile strength, the same twist rates. Um, we've created something as strong 
as the former version, but with a lower footprint, and it's Nylon 6 versus Nylon 66. So, um, it, yeah, for the chemists that are out there and the textile um, developers and loads of people with a PhD in either of those elements, they're really, really excited. <laughs> um, for us, simple, I'm just a mechanical engineer. I'm, I'm excited by the environmental elements and it meets all of our specifications that we previously had, but with that lower environmental footprint. So, and I, I think obviously there's a, there's a larger environmental sustainability initiative at Gore. Um, how do these Gore Pro products, this current line, fit into this idea of Gore sustainability initiatives for the next few years? As I mentioned earlier, we've always looked at reducing our environmental footprint wherever we could. And we have recycled faces. We have solution-dyed faces, they're available to our customers and therefore to our consumers, but they're optional. And there's different reasons why different brands buy different faces. And we just wanted to be able to say that every garment produced had a lower footprint in some way. We wanted to change what we could. Now, we spent three years developing that technology. This was not easy at all. Um, but we really felt that we have pushed what is, uh, what is possible. Um, and that, that knowledge, that passion, that focus, um, we cascade that through our organization. So the solution died backer, that's also being looked at, the technology is being looked at by our other products within Gore-Tex. So you'll see other products coming through that are also solution dyed in the backers. And it also it's benefited our face technology. So it really is cascading that knowledge through the organization and just maximizing those learnings. So it fits in with Gore's overall policy of reducing our environmental footprint. And we achieve that in different ways. So one of the, it is at least my understanding, one of the places that that environmental impact still needs a little bit of work on these products is in the DWRs. These are still fluorinated DWRs, is that correct? Because of where Gore-Tex Pro is used, we're still putting um, the highest level of performance that we can for a DWR onto our products. And that's what's expected within Pro. It's needed by our consumers. They're going into harm's way. It's their option. You know, it's what they choose to do with their lives and their passions. But fundamentally, we're looking to put the best package of components we can, as far as performance is concerned, into Pro. You know, that's, that's pretty much what Pro stands for. It's the best bill material we can provide for those pinnacle performing products. I think we're I think we're going to wrap up here but I feel like it would be unfair to not have you answer this question. Can you talk about how the Gore Pro technologies and how the current Gore lineup um compares or contrasts to the North Face's new Future Light marketing train? The short answer is we're basing our products on what our consumers and our brands are looking for. We have sound science behind that um, and our marketing claims support it. So um, I think our position is pretty clear. 
we're talking about what our products do and and those claims are supported by scientific data that's a pretty good answer i really hope to be able to ask north face this question here in the near future and we are out testing both of your products and we're far far from making a final judgment that is that is clear but we're excited to get out and put put everything to the test well uh thanks so much for your time mark uh this was a really really interesting talk and i really can't wait to get out in the mountains and put the new gore pro tech to the test yeah thank you it's my pleasure that's it for this episode of gear 30 thanks to mark for the conversation jared farley for producing this episode and thank you for listening if you're enjoying these gear 30 episodes please spread the word to your gearhead friends be safe out there and we'll talk to you again next week